Welcome to See You on the Other Side, where the world of the mysterious collides with the world of entertainment. A discussion of art, music, movies, spirituality, the weird, and self-discovery. And now, your hosts, musicians and entertainers who have their own weakness for the weird, Mike and Wendy from the band Sunspot. Episode 97 coming at you a little bit late. We have to say sorry for our yeah. tardiness this week. Yeah, we apologize for that. But never what, never like to, to put one out late, but no, this but is... what were we doing, though? Oh, man. We had a few things going on. Yeah, I think we did this week. We certainly did. <laughs> Extenuating circumstances. Mm-hmm. That's right. Uh, Sunday was the Madison Area Music Awards, and we've talked about this before uh, because we asked you to vote for us. And yeah. guess what? Your, your votes worked. Yeah. And so Weirdest Hits, which was our album of songs that we wrote specifically for this for podcast. this show, yes. Uh, was declared the Madison Rock Album of the Year. And Messiah Complex, which was from our uh, most popular episode, the episode right. about the Pope and yep. UFO disclosure. And the first song on Weirdest Hits. Yes. And that, Numero uno. That is uh, Madison's hard rock slash punk song of the year. So thank you, everybody, who voted for us. Oh, you guys are the, the best. Moment. You guys really are the best. Seriously, thank you. So uh, number one, thank you for that. And that's what Sunday nights so as we were working on. Yep. And then... Uh, the Don't past- forget, there was one other award. Oh, I, uh, Wendy, I was gonna let you. I was gonna let you talk about that. No, I don't have much to say except that um, I got the drummer percussionist of the year. So. so Wendy is your drummer of the year. Yes, and uh, fantastic. Very honored by that because there's a lot of great drummers in the scene here, and it was just nice to be recognized. So yes, thank you for voting for me. Well, well deserved, Wendy. Thank you so much. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so that. But we that had a was great fun. time at the awards. It's one of those kind of like the Grammys where they so, have the big fancy shindig and. Right, it's a party for all the musicians in town and and all the music fans in town. Mm-hmm. So, so it was pretty fun. We had a really good time hanging out with our friends, and um, thank you everybody who decided to vote for us. We appreciate that. But more importantly, all of the money for the awards goes directly to the Madison Area Music Association, which goes towards funding music education. In right, town. and you know, I thought about that. I was thinking about that on Sunday because I was thinking about how lucky I have been to have. Even as a young child, I had, my parents were very supportive mm-hmm. and they got me piano lessons and had instruments available for me to experiment with and things like that. And I mean, how different would my life be now if I hadn't right. had that? So I just think about people who aren't, you know, might not have those opportunities. And it it's, makes me very happy to know that the, the money that you guys donated to help us get these awards could actually really change somebody's life, a yeah. young child. So I think that's a really nice way of putting it. And yeah, we, so. we were lucky with a supportive family. Very, who very. Said like, well, sure, yeah, we'll help you out. And a lot of people don't have that. Yep. So this is this. So thank you for that. Thank you. <laughs> and then uh, yesterday was the summer solstice. Mm-hmm, longest and day of the year, longest right? Longest day of the year. Well, it certainly felt like it. And, and we were... <laughs> <laughs> it did. We crammed like a week into that day. Yeah. And so uh, Make Music Madison is a thing based on the uh, Le Fête de Musique in mm, Paris. And that's where they just have musicians playing every street corner all through town all day. Yeah, it's nice because you walk around town and you just hear music in right. random places that you wouldn't necessarily otherwise. And they do it in like 300 cities worldwide. Mm-hmm. So uh, yesterday we um, we played during the day. We did the acoustic thing. And then in the evening we played for the Madison Mallards baseball game. That's right. And they're in the, I think it's like the Northwoods League. Yes. But it's a pretty big stadium. I mean, yeah, I think they have about 6,000 people mm-hmm. at every game. So 
It was a large crowd, yeah, and we participated in, in a really unique event that was one of the mass appeal events for Make Music Day, where um, they distributed these percussion instruments to the crowd. And they're colored plastic tubes, basically, like giant straws. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and when you hit them, they make a sound, which is a note in the scale. And we did a performance where we sort of led the audience to... Eye the Tiger. And they played along with us, and it was it was something else. <laughs> it was so. pretty fun. It was ridiculous. It was fun. Yeah. You know, in, in New York, when they did the same event, they actually had the singer from Survivor do yeah. it. Yeah. But the, the good people of Madison got to have Sunspot. Yeah, Mike Huberty. <laughs> Not quite the least you know singer what? Survivor. I think we're luckier. <laughs> right. I, thank Personally. You. Not that I'm biased or anything, but... But it did turn out to be a really fun event. So we've been super busy the past few Yeah, days. and it was it, that was one of those events where it was just a one-minute performance, but mm-hmm. all the... Preparation. Preparation took forever. So that was why this podcast is late, because <laughs> the last minute, getting all the parts together for the different sections mm-hmm. and just things that you, you didn't think of initially. So it was something else. And so that's why we apologize for being a little bit late this mm-hmm. week, but we do have a fun interview with a guy we met at the Paradigm Symposium in Minneapolis yes. a couple of weeks ago, or a month ago now. Yeah. And that is uh, Jeffrey Doherty, and he's the Christian whistleblower. That's right. And he was really fun to meet at the convention yes. because, and we saw him, we talked about this before about how there, a lot of the people we saw every day, mm-hmm. you know, throughout the weekend. And so... You got to have a lot of conversations with people and really kind of get to know them. So I feel like he's a friend, yes, not just too. the person we met. So I do too. That was cool. And if you guys, if anybody's going to be at the uh, Haunted America Convention in Alton, Illinois, this yes. weekend, uh, then you have a chance to run into Wendy and Allison and I, and we'll be running around Alton and all of the haunted <laughs> business there. Yes. So another convention, another opportunity to make friends. Yes, and so if anybody, <laughs> and we'll be doing a podcast from there too. So if anybody is uh, anybody's going, make sure you come and say hi. So why don't we uh, go back to our conversation with Jeffrey? All right, let's go. Wendy and I have a special guest that we're excited to bring on. Uh, we met him at the Paradigm Symposium in Minneapolis just about a month ago, and his presentation was electrifying, so we wanted to, to bring it Very to you compelling. guys today. Uh, we're here with the Christian whistleblower, Jeffrey Doherty. How are you doing today, Jeffrey? I'm doing well. It sounds so official. I really appreciate you guys' kind words, and it's fun to be with you. To give everybody a quick background on you, now you're somebody who studied a lot of uh, Christianity and languages and everything. Where did you get your start in this world? Well, actually, I was a licensed minister, ordained minister for 20 years, and I was ordained by three of the largest uh, Protestant denominations in the world, and I was a Bible college graduate. I have probably somewhere between 100 and 150,000 hours of uh, study. Uh, within the biblical text. Wow. And you know, they say that 10,000 hours makes you an expert, so I don't know what that makes me, but uh, the things I talk about aren't something that I you know, thought about this morning, so I at least do have some background. I also have a, uh, I guess you'd call it a secular degree that is uh, mainly in geography and anthropology. So I have a, have a little bit of, a, of an academic background, and now... Well, I'm dating myself, but you know, going on 35 years of experience in the realms of spirituality from the very orthodox and conservative Christian realms, uh, now really into kind of the uh, pushing the envelope on uh, freeform spirituality and the paranormal as well. So it's been an interesting ride. So if you started out as a minister, um, 
what I mean, that's a you know, we think ministers, we think people who who grew up in a very uh, religious environment. Was was that you? Did you grow up in a like a, from a religious family or a certain sect or anything? You know, it's funny you ask that because when I was growing up, till I was about I think maybe ten or eleven, my dad was actually a a Sunday school superintendent for a Baptist church, and that's kind of a big deal if you know anything about the Baptist. And then one of the uh, great ladies of the church, one of the pillars, saw him drinking a beer some someplace one day, and they ended up firing no. him. So he got very uh, upset with uh, the church and with organized religion, and I don't know how much of that carried over to me, but it's funny now, you know, kind of going through a, a situation not too dissimilar uh, to what my dad went through, but yeah, that was kind of my religious upbringing <laughs> as a kid. What part of the country did you grow up in? Where'd you grow up? I was born and raised in Clearwater, Florida, which is Pinellas County. Okay. It, would you consider that part of the Bible Belt? I mean, part of the, was that part of the, a very religious community kind of county? Yeah, you know, Florida is considered part of the Bible Belt, but you know, over there on the Gulf Coast, you know, we're there on all the beaches, so we tend to be I think, as a rule, a lot less uh, conservative, and most of the people in Florida are from somewhere else. So, uh, even though Florida is kind of part of the Bible Belt, it's it's probably really not. But it, there still is. It's pretty conservative, but not as much as like you would think Alabama, you know, Georgia, Texas, that kind of thing. Well, what inspired you to get in the ministry in, in the first place? Like, what was you know when you wanted to share this with people? Um, what was the main driver behind that? Well, you know, they, you always say you got called by God. And, you know, I, I did feel like I did receive a divine calling uh, to the ministry. I think sitting here now, looking back, you know, over 30 years, I probably wasn't called to what I thought I was called to. <laughs> and, you know, it was just, that was the, that was what I knew. You know, I, I actually had and this is a name you guys may not remember, but Jimmy Swaggart. I had started watching Jimmy Swaggart, and you know, was that, oh yeah, that's kind oh, of yeah. the guy I was. And I got called to preach, and I thought, man, I've got to be the next Jimmy Swaggart. So that's kind of we were off and running with that, and that's pretty embarrassing, but it is what it is. <laughs> well, you know, when I think about watching the televangelists when I was a kid, you know, it's funny you mentioned Jimmy Swaggart because. I remember being a kid and this turning on like the Christian station in Milwaukee and uh, they had this guy talking and he was talking about the book of Revelation and we never talked about the book of Revelation in church, in in, in Catholic church when, when I went to church because he was talking about dragons and beasts and lakes of fire and all that. I'm like, wow, like what's it? Is this guy talking about a Dungeons and Dragons game? Like, what's going on? This is cool. Yeah. So all you guys talked about was guilt in the Catholic Church, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, we got plenty of that. <laughs> There's guilt to go around in all of the, you know, I call it Roman Catholicism and Roman Protestantism because it really is the same thing. It's just Protestants, you know, don't think as much of the Pope and usually aren't afraid of holy water. But so you got into that and uh, you, you felt a calling, and then. Um, you started studying the Bible. I did. I went to Bible college and you know, started preaching at a very young age. I think I was 19 or 20 when I started preaching. And you know, it was, I've never even, even back then, and this remains true to today, I'm not a, a person that is very slow and measured. I'm kind of uh, pedal to the metal, you know, uh, where the Russian in where angels fear to shred, which I guess is, is good and it makes for an interesting life, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> when you started preaching, 
did you have like your own congregation did you, or did you, were you like a traveling preacher? How did you get into that and, and what was it like? Now, when you're a baby preacher, you usually start out, uh, you know, you, normally the church I was in, we had church like four nights a week. So you start off preaching on like Wednesday or Thursday and you got to work your way up and actually prove that you're any good before they let you preach on Sunday. Just like being in a band, you got to start playing Tuesday nights until they let you have the weekend. Exactly. Right, pay exactly. your dues. You know, I do a little stand-up <laughs> comedy. It's like, you know, the same thing. You start off doing the open mics and, you know, if you get a little bit better, they might bring you up as a as a a guest performer and then you can maybe work your way up into the other upper realms. And it's the same way uh in the ministry and preaching and it it took me I was kind of on a fast track, maybe three or four months of preaching on the off days, and I finally got <laughs> the, broke through to Sunday morning, so it was interesting. It was fun. That seems uh, at such a young age, too. I mean, just thinking about being 18 or 19, and the most presenting that I did was probably you know speech class in high school and then early days of college. <laughs> so just thinking about like speaking in front of that many people at such a, a young age is mm-hmm. very... Um, scary to me (laughs) i should have been out doing what normal people do you know and i I wonder sometimes how much of that affected me not really having you know a childhood so to speak not having you know the crazy college years that a lot of us have and it's just uh it's probably would be interesting to sit back sometime and calculate that i never really have but it was it was a different i mean i was preaching against movies and preaching against drinking and you know we were very very hardcore very very straight and narrow Pentecostals. I mean, if if it felt good or made you happy, it was most likely sinful and you should stop doing it. <laughs> oh, they would have hated our band. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And you, <laughs> exactly. It sounds like you grew up in the town of Footloose is what... <laughs> That's what I start thinking of. You know, I've never yeah. seen Footloose, so I, it's crazy. I like Kevin Bacon oh. and I've still never seen that movie. <laughs> well, it still holds up holds out it's great it, it might it might hit a little too close to home for you okay. oh, but so you put in tens of thousands of hours of studying the the bible and then you also studied the original languages in which it was written absolutely basically what i did uh, there's a little bit of that in in bible college not as much as you would think but once i started seeing kind of the cracks in the foundation of big time religion and things not adding up I decided, you know what, I need to just determine what it really means for myself. So I kind of laid aside all of my beliefs and everything I had been taught and just went back to the original languages and just started looking at things from the original languages and building it up myself. So, you know, after three or four years, I now had a faith and an understanding that I had developed on my own and not something that was just hand-me-down, second or third hand, uh, pre-digested information from somebody else. And that was that was both liberating and terrifying. <laughs> I can imagine. Yeah. I mean, so, so you start seeing that. And, you know, they normally refer to that when people start seeing the, the cracks in the foundation of their religion as a, as a crisis of faith. And what was yours? Well, you know, the and you got to remember, too, I was a preacher at that time. So I'm pastoring a church, living in housing provided by the church, you know, cashing a check provided by the church, eating food provided by the church. I've got a couple of kids. So when you talk about a crisis wow. of faith, you're mm-hmm. talking about a real crisis of faith. And it was a crisis of everything and you know, everything going on. But I started, the first things I started realizing 
were differences between what Paul taught and what uh, Jesus taught. And I was thinking, man, something is not right here. And I remember going to my elders and my leaders and my superiors. They're like, oh, you just got to put that on the shelf, you know. Uh, don't have a lack of faith. God moves in mysterious ways, all the cliches. But I just couldn't, you know, and I fought it for, for years. I just couldn't square the fact that it appeared to me, at least, that from the original languages, that Jesus was teaching one thing and Paul was teaching another. And finally, you know, I got the guts after many years, probably too many years, to just to realize that I, I had to make the break because I couldn't be a part of something that, I didn't believe it anymore, and that I believe really was uh, was a, a fear and a guilt matrix, if you will, set up to control people and extract the maximum amount of money and um, worship from them. I was curious, as as you were beginning to have this inner conflict and these questions coming up, did you speak to your mentors about that? You know, the other people within the organization, what type of answers did they give you when you brought those topics up? Yeah, I did. And that's what I was talking about when I would ask people and share these things with them. And, the, you know, the classic things are, oh, you know, we just have to have faith. I know it doesn't look like it adds up, and I know it looks like it's contradictory, but you just have to have faith. And things like, well, you know, we can't understand everything that God understands. And, and then, you know, classic stuff like, how could you be the only one that has discovered this. You just got to realize that there's something wrong with you or something wrong with your faith and just, you know, wow. hush up and go along, pastor your church, cash your check, and, you know, don't rock the boat. And that's literally what it was like. And that's an interesting thing. Cause like, don't rock the boat. Like you said, you had a family, your life, I mean, your life wasn't, it wasn't just a job. You were, uh, I mean, you were in there like being in the military or, or something like that, where the, the church is you, probably your social life. It's, you know, uh, just like you know, it's part of your family. Uh, your, you know, your parishioners are, are like part of your family. And then the very rock, the foundation that everything uh, hinges upon starts getting questionable. What was maybe the first example of something when you said the difference between what Jesus was teaching and then what you're seeing as uh, a, from the Apostle Paul? And it, you know, to give people some background, who was the Apostle Paul, real quick? The Apostle Paul was the guy that wrote about two thirds of the New Testament, and he's the one that you know was called Saul at first, and he was the guy that was killing Christians and throwing them in jail, and he was the guy that was on the Damascus Road, as they say, and you know, saw the bright light and got knocked off his camel and had a dramatic conversion and then went on to be the Apostle Paul. And, you know, allegedly, if if you believe in, in Pauline religion, he was, you know, the greatest evangelist. And he, everything that we know today as Christianity is really based on the teachings of Paul, not the teachings of Jesus. So that's who Paul is. It's a quick Bible primer uh, for anybody that that uh, maybe isn't as familiar or hasn't been caught up on their Sunday school. Yeah, absolutely. And so what was maybe the first example of something you saw that like, okay, Paul wrote this or the translation said this, but the original text says this. And can we get maybe the uh, the starkest example in your mind? Well, you know, there was really two things that got me started down this road. And one was kind of weird and the other one was maybe not so weird, but I realized that uh, Jesus was very, very welcoming 
and he was very, very um, uplifting of women and females in his life. In fact, Mary Magdalene was called by Augustine the apostle to the apostle, so she held a very high place in you know the 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 work of Jesus, and he was very you know good to all of the women in his life, and there were. Women preachers, there were women teachers, you know, uh, John the Apostle, who wrote the book of John and some other books, you know, made it very clear that, you know, these women were esteemed and that women were at least, you know, uh, equals with men. And that's, you know, obviously the way that things should be. And then you read Paul, and Paul says that women should not even say a word in church. In fact, he said it's a sh- it is a shame if a woman speaks in church and that a woman should never preach a woman should never teach a woman should never have any authority or leadership over a man a woman should uh, literally be staying at home a keeper at home which means get in the kitchen and make me a sandwich and that it really was <laughs> that woman that sinned and not men so he was blaming everything on the women and women should just giggle and nod and i'm sure wendy would have no trouble with that whatsoever uh, <laughs> right no 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 that's not and a then problem. and then Christ. jesus is saying something so different i'm like wait a second how do you reconcile these two things and then the second thing was kind of a theological thing. Jesus was, you know, very supportive of the Sabbath. He he worshipped on the Sabbath. You know, he 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 uh, went to the synagogue. And then Paul was saying, "Oh, the Sabbath is done away with. Don't worry about it." So those were the two things that really started me down that road. And once I opened that door, it's like a, it's like the floodgates just opened, and literally almost everything that Jesus taught is contradicted by everything that Paul taught. It's really two different religions, and that's kind of my whole message is i if you're a christian and you want to know the truth and you want to have a a reality of if you want to really know what you believe you at least ought to know that there's a religion of jesus and a religion of paul that they're different and that you should at least know that so you can look at both of them before you make your decision what you want to base your spiritual destiny on and so if people are interested in learning maybe more of what actually jesus said instead of paul's interpretation of it Where's the first place they should look? You really should start with the book of John. The, the thing that needs to happen is you have to read the New Testament in its chronological order, and it'll blow people's mind to realize that the New Testament as we have it is completely, totally out of order. The books are totally 100% jumbled up, which makes no sense at all. I mean, the first book we think of Matthew is like the 17th book, and the first book was really James. So why is it so messed up? Why did they... When they knew when these, when they knew when they were published, why did they put them together the way that they did? Well, because it shows a completely different story. And when you read the New Testament in order, and I've got the only one out there, it's called the Diamond New Testament. You can get that on my website, or you can just Google New Testament books in order of publication and just start reading your New Testament in order. And when you read it in order, the craziest thing happened. You realize that. Kind of in modern terms, the New Testament was a Twitter war between Jesus and his apostles <laughs> and Paul and his apostles. They were going back and forth in each Whoa. other from the beginning. And the New Testament has been reordered, so it looks like Jesus came and did his part, and then Paul came along and took us to the next level, which is completely bogus historically. So that's where I would start. Wow, that's really... <laughs> Well, that's a that's a, a great thing to know. And it's also a funny thing. It just makes me think of 
uh, when you were talking about, you know, the, the books written out of order, like, why would they do that? And I'm like, well, maybe they were going for like a Quentin Tarantino Pulp Fiction kind of thing uh, to make it more interesting to read by putting everything out of order. Or maybe there was some agenda behind it. You know, it. I was on a show the other night. And that's the first time I ever heard that. The guy said the same thing to me. Oh, it's like Pulp Fiction. It's all out of order. I'm like, I didn't realize Pulp Fiction was out of order, but I have seen that, but I didn't realize it was all out of order. On the pop culture front, the first thing that came to my mind was the Discworld series terry pratchett series where i wanted to get in and start reading it and i went online and to see which one came first mm-hmm. and this huge like flow chart came up and it's like well here's the the order of the events so you can read it in this order or you can read them in the order they were written but it might not make that much sense <laughs> i'm like oh how do i just get into this world here but, I mean, if you're talking about a historical document and you're talking about a document that is supposed to show the development of thought and doctrine of the new testament right. church You want to read that in order, and the only reason it would be out of order is if someone didn't want you to understand the original flow and development of doctrine in the New Testament, if someone didn't really want you to know what was actually happening. That's the only reason to jumble that up, and that's exactly why it was jumbled up, in my humble opinion. Or maybe Mm -hmm. not so humble. Well, it's a different thing. Like you said, it is historical and it's not it's not a fiction series. Exactly. So it's not, We're not talking right. it's not about really the Twilight kind of thing you want to. <laughs> right. Right. Bruce Willis as isn't going to be know, fighting. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Uh, right. <laughs> well, also, though, I think, you know, something you, you bring up in, in your presentation is the difference between the original text and then the translation. So when we think of our King James translation, I mean, that's like 17th, 16th, 17th century, right? It's 17th century, about 1616, interestingly enough, on June 16th. Oh, yeah. Hey, there you go. <laughs> so, but, but the idea is that maybe they translated it a certain way where we lose some of the original meaning. And you talk about that in your presentation, that even in when, when that angel comes to Mary to, to let her know that, hey, you, you, got, you got a baby coming and, it, and it's from God, uh, it's really different in the original text than it is in the translation. And can you get into that for a little yeah, bit? Yeah, absolutely. And the thing that, you know, the first thing that blows your mind is that the New Testament is all jumbled up. And the second thing that blows your mind when you realize it is, you know, today in our world, we kind of all have the understanding of how the government is, that the government's probably not telling us the truth all the time, that the government probably has an agenda, that the government probably is looking to, you know, do some control over us. And, you know, in our realm, the paranormal realm, the conspiracy realm, we have no problem questioning whether or not the government is actually telling us the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, and whether they have our best interests at heart. But what we don't realize is the New Testament, and I've got one right here, the New Testament was written in the Roman Empire. And the Roman Empire had these guys called censors. That's where the word censorship comes from. So every word that was written in the New Testament was vetted and approved by the Roman Empire, which was the government. And then, like you said, Mike, down on through into the 16th, 17th century, here comes King James and his merry men, and they were the government, right? And then they exactly. they edited, redacted, um, you know, added to, not really added to, but took away and did all their editing. And so the New Testament that we have today passed through the Roman government, which was a world empire. So it passed through the Roman New World Order. It passed through the British New World Order, and today what we read is exactly like the 
President Obama authorized version or the President George W. Bush authorized version. Huh. Mm -hmm. But we will not, most of us won't stop or pause to consider that if we question the government on everything else, but we just swallow hook, line, and sinker everything that not one but two governments has told us is true mm -hmm. in our spiritual life. And that blows my mind. How can people do that? It's crazy. I think where we're going there is when you think about, first of all, when you're reading an English version of something written in maybe Greek, maybe Aramaic, I mean, I don't even know what most of the, you know, obviously you do because you study the languages, but you're, you know, you're reading a translation and half the time when people translate songs from Spanish to English, then, you know, make English versions of pop records and everything, um, you know, the subtleties and important parts get lost in that translation. Absolutely. So to think that when you're reading English, an English version done by English translators in the you know the 17th century, and then they are having it approved by the king uh, in the end, or the king's advisors, or or that kind of thing. Um, that that maybe uh, there's going to be some kind of difference between the actual intention and then what comes out at the end. Right, and then even if you believe that it, every word is inspired and dictated by the divine, it, you, you, you're going through these filters of not one but two world empires, and then you've got to go through you know, the filters of uh, the people that are actually doing the translating, and then you've got to ask yourselves, are there any agendas? And that's kind of what we got into at the Paradigm Symposium, because... You know, we can't really get into that whole thing, but just for example, when the angel comes to Mary and says, you're going to have a baby, when you read it in the King James, it sounds kind of cool. The angel appeared and said, the power of God's going to come upon you, and you're going to find yourself with child of God, and you're going to call his name Jesus. It sounds kind of, you know, you can almost hear the angels in the background kind of, oh, yeah, you guys are the musicians. <laughs> But as we as we showed at the Paradigm Symposium, from the literal Greek, it says that you are going to be overtaken as in an attack. The 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 power of the Lord is going to paralyze you, and there is going to be deposited something in your womb from the Lord. And the word baby, child, kid, toddler isn't used. It's just this thing. So. It's not it's romantic not at romantic all. It's not romantic at all, and it sounds like <laughs> X-Files, Coast to Coast AM, Fringe. It sounds like an alien <laughs> abduction. It almost sounds like gulp, an extraterrestrial rape. Mm. Oh, man. And, well, and, and that kind of... Very disturbing thought. Yeah, well, and that's well that just all, a idea Greek. also changes everything. And mm. that, that changes everything, too. Right, and, because and personally, the, I don't think that it is or was an extraterrestrial rape, but like I shared... At Paradigm, I think there are people and there is an agenda that wants us to believe that. Yeah. Well, one of the things that I liked about your presentation was you were opening up people's minds and just suggesting, you know, just think just think about it for yourself. You know, you, you weren't pushing one way or the other. But uh, but just to say, look, there's definitely other ways of looking at this. There's other uh, explanations. Yeah, man. And if you just read it, it don't mean what they told us. <laughs> <laughs> that it means, or at least it doesn't appear to. And Michael, I think I cut you off earlier. I'm sorry. No, 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 no. I was just talking about how um, that whole idea that, first of all, that's right out of 
Uh, there's a movie called Prince of Darkness by John Carpenter that that posits that the devil and Jesus are both extraterrestrials. I gotta and watch some, that. You know, it's I'm a, write that down. Yeah, Prince of Darkness by John Carpenter, a good movie, about 30 years old now. I gotta add that to my list as well. Alice Cooper even has a cameo. Oh, nice. It, so it's, it's fun. Yes. The Prince of Darkness um, himself. But, but right, but the idea is Perfect. they they have two sides. You know, they, they represent. It's two alien forces that have been battling each other for centuries. And you know, that's not too far off of my theology, really, if you want to get right down to it. Well, let's talk a little bit about your theology. And, uh, I mean, where did you get the name The Christian Whistleblower from? Actually, somebody went on one of the big radio shows, I believe it was Coast to Coast, and they were taking me to task. And so they called me The Christian Whistleblower, a traitor, just like Edward Snowden and, you know, a a dirty, rotten... Oh, lousy man. guy and i heard that christian whistleblower i'm like you know what i like that and i just kind of adopted <laughs> it and you know to be a whistleblower you have to have been a part of the thing that you're purporting to be a whistleblower about and you know i was a christian for 20 years i was a christian minister for 20 years believed it i was sold out the whole route i was you know truly a christian and truly a minister just like if you listen to Snowden, he you know loved America, wasn't you know a communist or anything of that nature. But he realized, hey man, they're doing things to people that the people deserve to know, and that's where I came from. As hey man, they're doing stuff to us, they're hiding stuff from us, they're hijacking, at least in my opinion, the real message of the real Jesus, who I call Yeshua. And they got this plastic Jesus guy out there who's a dancing bear for this new religion, and people. Deserve to know it. So here I am, the Christian whistleblower. So it kind of is literally true. Plus, it's kind of a cool-sounding name, and it's 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 catching on. So I think it was <laughs> at least a pretty good decision. That is a good one. So how long ago did you decide to leave preaching, to leave the church? And did you originally, like, automatically decide to say, like, I'm going to go out and start telling the truth as to which I see it? Like, I, I feel you said you you had been a, you had a calling to people the calling to help people calling to help people with their faith and, and spirituality right. and you started as a christian uh and then discovered some things about the religion you didn't particularly agree with or right. didn't think meshed correctly and uh so what was that journey between i'm a preacher and now i'm going to be teaching these things that you, you know in spain in the 15th century they would have put you on the rack they they may do it in America in the 21st century yet. <laughs> but I mean, yeah, I, so I was a preacher. How did you get there? You know, I love people. You know, I was a guy that went around from church to church and, you know, got people saved, quote unquote, unquote, did a lot of healing, cast out a lot of demons. So, you know, helping people, helping people, realizing that this is not really the way. But if I had more integrity, I probably would have left 10 years earlier. But it just took me a while to, to gin up. The integrity and you know the the guts to leave behind the job, the house, you know the you know I had a full schedule. Every, you know it was my life, so it, I should have left earlier. And when I did leave, I was leaving, and I continued to preach for about three years after I quote unquote left uh, the Orthodox Church. And I was kind of uh, teaching these things about hey, we've been lied to. There's more to it. But then I realized that the lie was even bigger. And then I had to actually step outside of the the quote unquote Christian world and move into the realm of spirituality, and that happened probably about six years ago. So for five or six years, I've been truly in the paranormal, the uh, new age, if you will, free form spirituality, whatever. So it was kind of 
you know, Christianity helping a lot of people because I thought it was the best way to go, and then realizing, uh-oh, there's something foul in the state of Denmark, you know, getting enough guts and integrity <laughs> to, to book, and then realizing, well, you can't really reform something that is rotten to the core, so then I had to step outside of it. And the idea is, again, just to get people to ask the questions and start thinking for themselves and stop accepting everything that somebody that stands behind a pulpit or gets on the TV with purple hair or big, you know, fancy swoop back hair tells you. Get it for yourself. Think for yourself. And, you know, you already said that one of the best places people can get it is if they just start by reading the New Testament in order. Um, Where can they get a more exact interpretation slash translation of the New Testament if they're looking to learn from Jesus's teachings instead of the King James translation or the Roman translation? Where, where can they get that believe it or not, uh, guys, closer to the beginning? Believe it or not, it's been 2,000 years, and for some reason it wasn't until some crazy, long-haired, ex-Pentecostal preacher decided to put together the diamond New Testament that anybody ever put the New Testament in chronological order. It's the only one out there, and that's the only reason I say that. Uh, we have it on our website. There's an ebook that's cheaper, you know. There's a and there's a paperback as well. But you can go to Google and you can just Google New Testament books chronological order, and it'll give you the order. And you can go to the King James or whatever and read them in their chronological order, and even that will help. But the Diamond New Testament, I should tell you um, all of the, the facts of it. Not only is it the New Testament in order, but we also took all the writings of Paul out of it. So <laughs> it's, it's just the teachings of Yeshua, or Jesus, and his apostles without the Pauline stuff. And I, the first book I wrote was called Apostle Paul Antichrist, and that kind of was a novel of how this whole thing unfolded. But I have another book out there that I had at the at the uh, at the symposium. It's called Final Message of the Last Apostle, I believe. But that has in it all of the facts from Apostle Paul Antichrist without the novelization of it. So if you really, really want to know, unfortunately, at this point, and it's not it's not you know me trying to blow my own horn. Uh, the Diamond New Testament, Final Message of the Last Apostle, really is the only place that has all of the information laid out. Uh, for this uh, this belief or this teaching or this theory, and really that's exposing uh, these facts, take them or leave them. And just curious, so the way that you arrived at that is by looking at the original non-translated text, and then you, with your language experience and everything, looking at the actual translation. And I was just curious of how you separate the, how do you know which <laughs> which things were the facts and which things were the dramatization you know it's really pretty simple you know you don't even have to be a bible scholar you can go on it's the one i use is called biblehub.com i don't get paid for using them and they probably would prefer that i didn't use them but you can go in there (laughs) and you can look at any verse of the new testament or the old testament and it'll have the original hebrew or the original greek old testament hebrew new testament greek and then right underneath it it has the english translation oh wow and you can even click on the english word or the greek words and it'll give you an expanded definition of the word so everybody with a little bit of initiative that wants to take the time to quit worrying about who's on getting voted off the island or who's winning the singing contest can go <laughs> right. on and look it up for themselves. You can know everything that a doctoral level seminarian knows 
uh, you can discover it for yourself now. And that's new. That's within the past three or four years that that's been available to us. Ah, the internet. Ah, the internet. That's pretty exciting. You know, going back to something we, we talked about before, you know, I mentioned that movie Prince of Darkness with uh, the the devil and, and Jesus or Satan and Jesus as, you know, adversaries, right. you know, people that came against each other over the course of, of millennia or over the course of forever, maybe. Yep. But getting into that, now you call the book Apostle Paul Antichrist. Now, are you are you getting at that maybe Paul is the antithesis of Jesus? Yeah, that's that's a good way to look at it. Most people think about you know the Antichrist, end time boogeyman. You know, pin the tail on the Antichrist. Is it Reagan? Is it Obama? That kind of thing. Well, the book Apostle Paul Antichrist just means it takes the original language. Antichrist just means against the anointed. And Paul was, in the words of Thomas Jefferson, the first corrupter of the doctrines of Jesus. And he really was. So it's in that sense that Apostle Paul was the Antichrist, really the first Antichrist, because he's the first one to start teaching against the teachings of Jesus, again, who I call Yeshua, and his apostles. So in that sense, it's Apostle Paul Antichrist. And do you see, you know, I mean, did he change the text to enrich himself, to, to make him the real founder of the religion, or or what do you think his motivations could have been? Yeah, that's a great question, and that's something that I still, you know, sit around and think about today. Um, Paul was a, a very unique individual, one of a, a, a tiny handful of, of Jewish people that were also Roman citizens. He was... He was in the family of King Herod, and he was buddies with Nero, you know, who became who became Caesar. So this was a guy that was incredibly, uh, the word slips my mind right now, but he wanted to to be the head honcho. Uh, he he wanted to be famous. He wanted to be rich. He wanted to be important. So he had that. Plus, he... He was the L. Ron Hubbard of the first century. I think that L. Ron Hubbard had way more integrity than the Apostle Paul. <laughs> but Paul was very, very, uh, I, I don't know why that word keeps slipping my mind, but also I think as, as I ponder it, yes, he was uh, vainglorious, yes, he was power hungry, but he also, I think, on that road to Damascus, probably got possessed by uh, who I call the Lord, Yeshua, Jesus calls his adversary, and it was probably that the combination of his own avarice and really probably a spiritual possession that uh, drove him to be uh, the guy that he was, ultimately. That's interesting. So in your theology, a lot of people believe believe in God, they'll believe in a higher power, they'll believe in something, but they don't believe in the devil or the opposing force or, you know, the adversary yeah. is the original word that Satan means, right? Absolutely. So um, do, in your theology, do you find evidence of uh, the devil? See, that's the key. You've hit on it, Mike. Um if you if you just follow the words of Yeshua again Jesus if you just follow the words of Yeshua he says you know in the Greek it's the satan it's not satan it's the satan and the satan is that force within each of us that's adversarial to us uh becoming good people spiritual people and ascending if you will and when you look at the new testament if you follow the words of Yeshua the satan lucifer the Lord are all the same dude, and it's not that he's necessarily walking around with a pitchfork and a pointy tail, but he's just the adversary to 
Yeshua and his ways uh, of teaching. Yeshua came to change what the adversary was doing. So you've got Yeshua, Jesus, and then you've got the adversary who really is Satan, um, Lucifer, all of that. He is the adversary. The, the main adversary is, you know, I always tell people the biggest devil you have problems with is the one that you look at in the mirror. And if we just overcome ourselves, that's really the only thing we ever fight. But there is an adversary uh, that is at least adversarial to what uh, Yeshua or Jesus was trying to uh, bring forth. And the, the, the biggest, and easiest, simplest encapsulation of that is that the adversary teaches original sin. We're all born sinners in need of a Savior, and the church that he created provides that salvation. Yeshua said... We're all born not with original sin, but with the spark of divinity within, and that we just need to develop and grow that seed of divinity, and that'll lead us back uh, to the divine. So two very different schools of thought, two adversarial schools of thought, thus Yeshua, Jesus, and the adversary. I think that's interesting, too, when you, when you talk about original sin. So if, if you guys out there aren't familiar with original sin, it's the idea that uh, everybody knows the story of Adam and Eve, and then Eve was tempted by the serpent to eat the apple from the tree of knowledge that God said, don't touch that thing. And so she goes in, she eats it, and we were cast out of paradise. And because of her original, the original sin, all of us are tainted and need to be saved if we want to get to heaven, we, yeah. need, to, we need to be saved. And, and that's what the church provides, if you guys aren't familiar with the original sin. Does, and that's also, Paul goes out of his way to say it was all that shit fault. <laughs> oh, man. But it, it, it is. And people use that. I mean, people use that excuse to, to put women down, just mm-hmm. like there was a legend of the wandering Jew that Jesus had cursed this particular Jew that was cruel to him on the cross and just curse to walk the earth forever and, and never die and always be miserable. And, you know, Christians in the Middle Ages would use that to persecute Jews that they found. Right. And they'd say, well, that's that's the wandering Jew. And so, you know, people over time have used these messages in the Bible, original sin, you know, and superstitions like the wandering Jew, but they use that to, to control other people absolutely one person screws up and then the rest of us are doomed for I mean, that doesn't even make any <laughs> sense time. <laughs> it only make but it makes perfect sense if you're if if you're the roman government that needs to coalesce an empire of a bunch of different religions and a bunch of different ethnicities if you can come up with a religion that says hey every one of us is sinful. Every one of us is going to burn in a lake of fire unless you come to this new religion that we have, do what we say to do, we'll give you the golden ticket so you can go to the good place instead of the bad place. That's the only way it makes sense. And in per- in context, oh, I see why they did that. It's a great fear and guilt-based control matrix. But Yeshua was something very different. Hey, you've got the spirit of divinity within you, the spark of divinity within you, and I brought you the ways and the truths that you can follow to walk this way of life, which is a, a way of abundant life. And Yeshua said it's of, it gives you peace that passes all understanding. So ask yourself, is your religion bringing you guilt, fear, worry, doubt, or is your religion bringing you peace and abundance? If it's not bringing you peace and abundance, there is a way that Yeshua showed that will bring you that, if that's what you want. Now, I know I'm getting back into movies here, but uh, that's usually my point of that's reference awesome. on everything. In fact, <laughs> a movie I, I'll called... tell you about something I saw in the X-Men before we leave. 
Oh, awesome! Oh, great. There, there, there's a there's a movie called Stigmata. Yes, uh, that came it. out. Oh, maybe sixteen or seventeen years ago. And in that movie, they talk about the Book of Thomas. Right, the Gospel of Thomas. Think, the Gospel of Thomas, and that's something that's not included in the regular Bible. And did you ever study? Did you ever study that or, or find why it wasn't included? At, well, see, I I do what I call also parabiblical research, which means outside the Bible, because there's a lot of teachings of Yeshua that aren't included in the New Testament. And not only was the Gospel of Thomas not included in the New Testament, but it was quoted by Jesus in the New Testament, but yet they decided not to put it in. Something's wrong, man. Something's going on here. <laughs> and, and that's, but that's the place uh, where he talks about the church being inside yourself, right? That's one of the places, absolutely. And, but I mean, he says it right in the, in the Gospel of Luke. He says, the kingdom of heaven is in you. Quit looking for me to come back in the clouds of glory. Quit looking for raptures and second comings and rebuilt temples. That's not going to happen, Yeshua said. The kingdom's already come. The second coming's already come, and it's inside your heart. And, and to go back to talk about, you know, you just said that, you know, Jesus said, hey, man, like, don't, don't wait for me because the kingdom of God is inside of you. It's part of you. Uh, naturally, you know, you don't have to, you don't have to eat this magic uh, eat this magic bread and you'll be saved. Right. Also, you know, in your presentation, you talked a little bit about the book of Revelation and uh, the inconsistencies in the translation. And to go back to Jimmy Swaggart, that's what got, you know, I, I couldn't believe. I'm like, all these dragons in the Bible? Where's the dragons in the Bible? I didn't, I just saw a bunch of guys with beards. What, you know, what are some of those inconsistencies, like who wrote the New Testament and what are some of those inconsistencies that you found when you did your research? Well, you know the it's it's a it's one inconsistency after another. It's hard to say what are you know there's 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 a there's 27 books I guess in the New Testament. And they're all full of inconsistencies. And just to be just to be clear, I do believe that the New Testament contains the words of the divine. I do believe the New Testament contains the words of Yeshua. I do believe the New Testament is profitable for reading and researching and understanding for people that are are trying to better themselves spiritually. But I also believe that the New Testament has a lot of garbage from men and lesser minds. Thomas Jefferson called it dung, and I agree with him 100%. (laughs) So the diamond New Testament is an effort to sweep away the dung, shovel out the dung, and leave the diamond. So there's tons of inconsistencies and the Bible was ba- the New Testament is basically written by the people that followed Yeshua or Jesus and Paul and a couple of people that followed him. So it really is it's you know, we talked about Twilight a little bit, Team Edward and Team what's the other guy's name? Jacob. It really is two yep. different teams battling against each other in the New Testament. Specifically on the book of Revelation, Does, do you include that in the Diamond New Testament? Is like Most of it is. Because mm-hmm. John the Apostle, who was the closest friend of, uh, of Yeshua, probably, we, from what we are able to understand, outside of maybe Mary Magdalene, he was his closest confidant. John wrote the legitimate, uh, authentic parts of the book of Revelation. He also wrote books called 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. Then he wrote the Gospel of John. And... The reason I that's all in the book, the final message of the last apostle, because John was the last apostle. He was the last one alive that knew uh, Yeshua and walked with Yeshua, and that was the final message of the New Testament. He wrote about 60 years after everybody else finished writing. 
So he had 60 years of perspective, 60 years of understanding, and he sat down knowing he was going to die and wrote the last will and testament of the apostolic era. And his whole message was about uh, Paul usurping or hijacking or co-opting the message of Yeshua and this UFO ET alien agenda in the New Testament, which tries to make us think that um, God was an alien and had this son who was an alien and he's coming back in a spaceship to deliver us all and you know make the world new and if you really get down to it and we did a little bit there at the paradigm symposium just from the original languages man that's one of the stories that the new testament is telling and it's it's in every single event of the life of jesus uh birth crucifixion second coming it's just littered with ufo et um, alien imagery. What purpose would it serve to make Jesus sound like uh, a little green man? Well, yeah, I don't know that they make him sound like a little green man, but uh, the whole the whole purpose really is number one to create you know confusion and to create doubt. But really, it sets the table for the adversary, who I think is very clearly shown as the Lord in the New Testament, uh, to make his final effort to conquer planet earth and if you read uh, revelation 21 and we did a little bit of that at the symposium you can see that it very clearly if you looked at it through 21st century eyes instead of first century eyes it looks like somebody returning in a ship with a fleet of ships to uh, decimate the earth and to retake control now this is twisted and turned for Christians to think that God's going to come back and put down all the bad guys and then uh, save uh, just the chosen few. But really, man, when you look at it, this guy comes back hiding who he really is, blows the hell out of everything, and then takes over control of the earth. So make that of it what you may. In the new X-Men movie, X-Men Apocalypse, I think it was, this villain... I I can't remember what they called him, but they asked him, who are you? He says, I've been called by many names. First, I was the Elohim, which is what the Lord was, with Yeshua and Elohim. And they said, why did you come? He said, I have come to uh, destroy your world and make it anew. And John said in the book of Revelation that the Lord was going to come back and that the, the present heavens and earth were going were gonna to pass away and he was going to make them all new. So this X-Men uh, a villain is saying the exact same things that the Lord said and that John said he was going to do in the Bible. So I find it interesting and maybe an Easter egg dropped into the new X-Men Apocalypse movie. Well, you know, I, I think that whole idea is interesting too. The the setup that, you know, God's coming back or the Lord's coming back is going to take everybody out, make everything anew. And if we're on his team, then he's going to save us. And that makes me think of like Wendy, when we were talking about the Puritans and the Calvinists yep. in our satanic Thanksgiving episode, the, <laughs> the idea that, uh, you know, that, that almost makes those kind of people that like, oh, there's only going to be 440,000 of those elected and we're going to be the ones and saved and everybody else is going to go in the lake of fire. Right. Yeah, 144,000. 144,000. That context, makes sense. You know, when it says he comes back and he's got a garment dipped in blood, you know, that sounds majestic. It sounds like, I mean, here's Jesus coming. He's great. But when you read it in the Greek, it says his garments 
are stained with hemorrhaging blood of the slain. It's a dude that's been killing people for thousands of years, coming back, <sighs> saying he's Jesus when he's not. It clearly shows that he's covering up his own identity. He's the Lord, and he's he's covered with splattering, hemorrhaging blood. And we're supposed to believe that this is the God of all gods, the King of all kings? I say nay. <laughs> well, because it sounds terrifying. It, it, it is makes terrifying, again, but we've been... Again, not romantic. Yeah, we have been <laughs> duped. So that's that's my story, and I'm sticking to it, as Wendy's chugging her water there, or whatever it is. Sorry, coffee. <laughs> <laughs> no, but... Uh, we love it. And, you know, if people want to find more of your message and they want to watch your videos or hear your radio program, where's the place they can go do that? Or if Jeffrey? you want to stay away from it, uh, make sure that you don't go <laughs> to JeffreyDarty.com. That's J-E-F-F-R-E-Y-D-A-U-G-H-E-R-T-Y.com or ChristianWhistleblower.com. And that's kind of the portal for everything. I, I've stepped away from radio. I'm not doing radio anymore. I had a bad experience with my last network. So... We do real well on YouTube, so we're doing everything on YouTube these days, and uh, that's blowing up, thankfully. But uh, you can find me, you know, type in Jeffrey Darty or Christian Whistleblower YouTube, and it'll take you uh, right to it. So YouTube and my website are, are the are the places to find information if you want it, and they're the places to stay away from if this scares the hell out of you. <laughs> we'll make sure we include those links on our uh, show notes page, which will be at othersidepodcast.com slash 97. So people can find you real easily nice. there. I've been yeah, and they can to go that CD you guys gave me. That's legit. I like it. Oh, oh thank, thank you. you. Thank you. American Monsters CD. Mm-hmm. We appreciate that. And uh, so make sure you go visit the Christian Whistleblower online. Look for the show notes and everything because um, he's got a lot of interesting things to say. And I know that uh, a lot of people of a Christian faith listen to this show. Uh, at least some of the reactions I get on Twitter are, you know, people who are very, very Christian. And what I love is uh, See You on the Other Side is all about open minds trying new things and getting all the information and then having the discussion and making that decision for yourself and we really Mm -hmm. appreciate the chance to get uh, a lot of this awesome information right from the source so thank you very much for joining us today Jeff my pleasure thanks a lot guys and uh, he was just talking about our sunspot music there and this week the sunspot song is called flesh and blood Flesh and blood is all we've got to serve. 
Thank you for listening to today's episode. You can find us online at othersidepodcast.com. Until next time, see you on the other side.